Welcome, everybody. Welcome to you on Facebook Live. We're glad to have you here. Welcome all of our campuses. It's Bears Day, everybody. Bear down, right? We're excited. Um, I promise you this is an undoctored photo out of our parking lot that shows us. I promise it's undoctored. I, I, I promise you. Um, I got my, yeah, you're like, yeah, I got, I bought this bear shirt in the holy city in Jerusalem, all right? That says Chicago Bears in Hebrew. I'm wearing my 1985 lucky underwear. I mean, I'm ready to go, and I, I hope you are too. Welcome, welcome back to our new year. I mean, as we start a new year, we're getting ready to start a series next, next week called Explore God. I want to invite you back for that. We're going to be talking about, uh, about what, it, what it looks like what it looks like to explore God. And, uh, and what's really important to me is that we start off the new year in a good way, okay? And, and so before we do that, I always like to have like one message where I come in and kind of get everything going. And, and it's because we, you know, we sometimes, we're all like trying to figure out what the new year is going to look like, 2019, what it's going to look like. I love the prayer that says, dear God, my prayer for 2019 is a fat bank account and a thin body. Please don't mix them up like you did last year, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I'm a student of, uh, of leadership and sociology and different things like that, as well as the Bible. I like to, I like to figure out things that other people are figuring out. And uh, one of my favorite books of the, of the last few months, I just finished it up recently, is a book by Daniel Pink, uh, P-I-N-K, and it's called When, W-H-E-N, like timing. When, it's the scientific secrets of perfect timing. And it's all about like how you do your day and, and how you you know how you how you make the most out of your out of your out of your schedule and out of out of the calendar. And, and he said in this book, you know, he I've always kind of made fun of New Year's resolutions. I don't usually like make New Year's resolutions because it ought to be you know I already already know at this point in my life what I'm supposed to be doing. But but he said it's a good thing. He said the Google hits for the word diet are up 80 percent on January 1st, 80 percent. You know, higher than any other day. Uh, but he said they're also up high on, on Mondays and on the first day of the month. And he said there is something mental about a, a new thing and a first thing that we ought to pay attention to. And, and, and it's kind of like, you know, closing the book as a business on the old year and opening the book on a new year. He called them temporal account, uh, accounts, okay? Like mental temporal accounts. Like you, it's time to go, okay, that year's done. Now what's it going to be? So we're going to talk spiritually what the year ought to look like. And I promise you, even if you're not interested in this, any discipline that you add to your life is going to help other disciplines in your life, and it's going to make your life better, okay? That's just, that's just a guarantee. So let's talk about it spiritually. Uh, this is based on a book called Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs by Dr. Bruce Wilkinson. And it's a sermon that I do here about every two years. Uh, I did it two years ago, and it's a sermon that's based on this concept of three chairs. And it's something to help us kind of get refocused. I've talked to several people that have heard it many times, because I've done this sermon many times, and they're like, man, I needed to hear that today. I needed, I needed to, to, to have that ch chance to start over again. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you're watching online, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but I promise you, e even, if you are not a, 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 even if you're not a spiritual person, I think this is going to help you make sense of what Christianity ought to be about, and it's definitely who we're going to be. Commitment is chair one, all right? Um, these people are sold out to Christ. They're sold out to God. They sit in this chair. They're a part of a church body. They pray regularly. You know, they read the Bible. Their life is on mission. Um, I, I want to take the guilt off of you right now. Every one of you watching at one of our campuses, you're already sitting in this chair. 
Okay? This is not the chair of perfection. This is not like the Billy Graham chair, the Mother Teresa chair. This is just a chair that says, I, I'm really committed to this whole thing about Jesus. I, I'm, I really am. I'm sold out. Okay? This chair, this bag chair, is uh, you know, it's what you throw in your back seat of your car and your trunk so that when your kids have a soccer game, you've got some place to sit, easily moved around. Right? This is the chair of compromise. Chair of compromise. They got a relationship with, with God, but, it, but sometimes it's over here, sometimes it's over there, you never really know, okay? And if there's a relationship that they talk about, oftentimes it's faded, it's, it's more about the past. This chair is the chair of complacency. Uh, you don't care about God, it doesn't matter, maybe you're agnostic, maybe you're not. And, and, and I want to tell you, if you're listening to me in any of these chairs, we welcome you, okay? And don't think, well, I'm sitting in that chair, I shouldn't be here. I, I'm glad you're here. That's what we're going to talk about over the next seven weeks and explore God. We welcome you here. I just want to show you the difference in how it goes w with your relationship with God where you sit in these chairs. And I'll start with, a, I mean, there's several places in Scripture where we can kind of see what happens when, when one leader or one father or one whatever is sitting, in, one mother is sitting in this chair, and then they, they don't pass it on, and you see what happens. Let me show you. Joshua. Joshua takes over for Moses, leads the children of Israel into the promised land. He's like, okay. It's like a new year. It's like a marking time. They're going to go across the river. They're going into the promised land, and he gives them the rah-rah speech, and this is it. Now listen, everybody, fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and back in Egypt where you came from and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then you choose who you want to serve, whether the gods of your forefathers or the gods of the people around you. But as for, and this is a part you may have heard before, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. All right, this is leadership. It's chair one philosophy. It's centered on a commitment. And this is who we're going to be, and I want to challenge you. You've got to make your own choice, but I'm going to challenge you to be a chair one person. And you go over a couple of chapters. You get on into Judges, into the next book, and it says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. And the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who had outlived him. And all who had seen all of the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Not, not a big deal, but, but it's just like, okay, that, you know, kind of became a thing of the past. Joshua's getting old. Joshua's on his way out. There's leaders who kind of, you know, it's, it's all done. It's about past tense, okay? Watch how quickly things go to chair three. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 and after that, the whole generation that had been gathered up to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord, this is a super comfortable chair, just in case you're wondering, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And what happened? Well, everything went downhill. The, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, started serving the Baals, the false gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. Look at that verse again. Who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So in one generation, you, you've gone from people who choose this day who you will serve, right? Me and my house, we will serve the Lord, to had done, to knew not. That's what happened. From parents who had watched God part the Red Sea 
okay? They'd watch manna come down from heaven. They'd watch the, the, the sun stand still. The walls came tumbling down at Jericho. These people, in one generation, you get to hear to people who don't care about it anymore. And Dr. Wilkinson gives us a bunch of different contrasts to show us how these chairs work differently in our life, all right? So, so number one is, who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? Well, it's God, obviously. In chair one, it's God. Everything comes back to God. He's the measuring rod against everything that goes on in our life. In our job, God's number one. In our family, in our finances, in our time, in everything that we do, God is number one. A great author named C.S. Lewis said, one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. You're, you got to understand that. And, and we, had, we got a lot of <laughs> new people around. Um, we had almost 29,000 people come to our Christmas Eve services, you guys. That is 3,700 people more than we had last year and more than we've ever had before. So thank you, volunteers. Thank you for inviting. My head... My, I have a headache. I mean, my head's going to explode. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how all that stuff works, but I really want you to understand as you're coming in, as you're trying to figure this thing out, the one thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. That's not who we're going to be as a church. We welcome you on your journey and we want to help you, but this chair is chair one. The carpet around chair one is usually worn because, you know, you're, you're ready to get up and go do what God wants you to do. I was raised, I've talked about this a lot, I was raised in a first chair home. My parents raised me uh, with a drug problem. I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning. I was drugged to church on Sunday night. I was drugged to church on Tuesday night for youth group. I was drugged to church on Wednesday night for Bible study. I mean, I was there all the time. And, and they didn't force me. They said I could walk or I could ride with them if I wanted to. And that we lived like five miles away, so I usually just got in the car, okay? But eventually, I had to make my own choice. And you know what? I did. I, as, you know, my, my dad and my mom said, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, while you're living in my house, we will serve the Lord. And I grew up, and I had to make my own decision. And I did. I made a decision for myself. And then I, and then I decided I'm going to make the decision to find a woman to marry that has already made that decision as well because I want to make that decision together in our household. And I did. I found a woman who's, who, who was raised the same way and who had made the same decision. She also looked nice, so that was a bonus. But we, we decided together that we would raise our children in that same way. Hey, I, had to, I had to make my own decision, and then we raised our children, and we said to our children, hey, you can choose whoever you want to later on who you're going to serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so we gave them a drug problem, and we drugged them to church. And by the way, um, you know, I also made them go to school. <laughs> I also made them make their bed and brush their teeth, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I didn't let them. I had three daughters, beautiful daughters, and I didn't let them go on a date alone with a boy until they were 16 years old. I, I, I was a dad, man. I, it's my house. I was a mean old son of a gun, I'm telling you. And all their boyfriends knew I had a gun. So it worked out pretty well. And they all grew up, and they're all grown, and they all had to choose this day who they would serve. And they all choose to serve the Lord, and they all chose to marry people who were serving the Lord. And now my grandchildren are living with the drug problem. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, they're still young. They don't get it. They like going and playing in the nursery. But, but that's the way that it's going to be. That's what chair one is all about. God's on the throne. Chair two 
Can't really decide. Sometimes it's God, sometimes it's myself. I can't really decide where that's going to be, and I'll show you this as I go on. Chair three, I'm on the throne. I mean, look at my throne. It's awesome, right? I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. This is my chair right here, and that's okay. I mean, this, I actually, I'm going to show you that this chair is, is way better, I think, than this chair because this chair confuses everybody. This chair, this chair confuses your kids, all right? Let's go on. How do I experience God? How, my experience with God is in a, a relationship. Everything I have to do in, in, in Jesus is in a relationship. It's a growing relationship. The second chair, here's where the problem comes, is religion. It's religion. It's a list of do's and don'ts. It's a, it's a bunch of rituals that need to be endured. And the problem is, if you don't remember anything else I say this weekend, is this. It's Billy Graham. He said, religion can be like a vaccine. I just think that's so important. Because religion, if you've got religion, it can be like a vaccine. What is a vaccine? I mean, it's a little bit of something that keeps you from getting the full-blown thing, Right? A little bit of flu that you get a shot so that you don't get the, the full-blown thing or smallpox or whatever. When it's religion, when it's a little bit of God and it makes you grow up and go, oh, I don't think I really need more than what I got right now. It's inoculating you against the full-blown thing. Well, I got, you know, I got God, but let's not get crazy. I mean, th 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 this is about making sure that I do enough of this so that I can do as much of this as I want to and balance everything out and be okay. This is why... My life is weird out in public, okay? Because whenever I meet people, it, it's like, uh, you know, if, if, they, if they're in this chair a lot of times and then they find out I'm a pastor, it's like I work for the HBI, the Heavenly Bureau of Investigation, okay? I mean, it's, it's like, oh, you're a pastor? Oh, 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 you know? And all of a sudden, the, 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 the religious guilt starts coming down. I, I don't ever do that. I mean, I, I promise you, it's just, it's just that my presence kind of makes that happen. It's really bad with golf. Like, if I'm, if I'm playing with a friend and we get put together with another twosome somewhere on a golf course, I, the first thing I do is I just say, hey, what do you guys do for a living? Because I, I need to make sure you understand right up front that I'm a pastor. And it's not because it makes any difference. It's just weird because usually what happens is when you start playing golf, you talk about the bears and you talk about the weather and, and how bad my slice is and all those kinds of things. And it's like eight or nine holes before you finally get to that question. And it's like, hey, what do you do for a living? And, and, and then I've got to decide, am I going to lie or, or, or am I going to tell the truth, right? Well, I work for a father-son organization, you know I mean? <laughs> because, because inevitably, when, when I say I'm a pastor, it's just like, oh, well, sorry about those eight beers I've already had. And sorry, you know, sorry about all those swear words and that, those three jokes. I don't care. It's just, it's just that when you're, when you're caught up in a religious experience, that's what it's all about. It's not about a relationship with Jesus. It's about whether I've got enough of this over here or anybody's finding out about it or I got enough of this over here. And, and, and that's what's so bad. As a matter of fact, the, the real problem is exemplified by the chest of drawers, okay? This, is, this goes with, uh, with the compromise chair. It's a chest of drawers. If you ask people, what are your priorities? They're going to say, um, I mean, if they're a believer at all, Okay, they're going to say, well, God is number one, my family is second, you know, my, my job and my hobbies and stuff are third. That's what they would say. They would say, well, well I, got my, I got my religious box up here, 
And then I've got my, my family box here. I love my wife, my husband, my kids, whatever that is. I got my job box down here. And of course, I got a, a drawer where I hide things. Everybody's got a drawer where I hide things. But they compartmentalize their life in, in different neat little packages. And the problem is, that's not how God is supposed to be. I almost said last night, God's supposed to be in all your drawers. And I caught myself just before it came out. God, God is supposed to be everywhere, okay? God, God is in everything. God is in my family. He's in my finances. That's first chair over here. If you think of religion this way, then you're thinking of religion, and it's the incorrect concept of what Christianity is supposed to be. They're, this is a rebellion. I mean, they don't care about God. I mean, it's pretty simple. I don't want to do anything. To, I don't have anything to do with God. I'm comfortable right here. And like I said already, this is a super comfortable chair. We're all going to be sitting in a chair like this this afternoon watching the bears. The problem is the longer you sit in this chair, I'm just going to warn you, the harder it is to get out. Unless, of course, you rent a Medicare-assisted <laughs> lift chair. Like I did. I'm, I may just buy it because I'm going to need it pretty soon one way or the other, right? Yeah. What happens is when you sit in this chair, the longer you sit in this chair, and I'm telling you, if you're sitting in this chair, you're watching me right now, it's great. Be comfortable, whatever. I, I, hope, that you will, I hope that you'll explore God, but I'm, I'm not judging you for it. I'm just telling you the longer you sit there, the harder it is to get out. How do you view the Bible? Okay, contrast number three. This person submits to the Bible. They believe it's God's word. If God's word says, uh, you know, love your spouse like Jesus did, then, then they know. That, that doesn't mean they do it all the time, but they know that that's, what it's, that's what's supposed to happen. This chair respects the Bible. It's one of many things that comes at them. And, and when it comes time to make a decision, maybe the Bible will play in, maybe it doesn't because they can't decide where they're at. This person owns a Bible. Right? One of those big King Jimmies sitting on their, you know, on their coffee table with a flower pressed in it. Okay? They, they don't care. This is super, super easy to, you know, to figure those things out. I don't care what the Bible says. It's 2,000 years old. Why would that matter? Again, I want to say to you, and I guess I should put this down anyway. I, I want to say to you, if, you are in that, if you're in that place, the series that we're getting ready to start on Explore God starts next week is for you. Next week, I'm going to preach a, a sermon on what is my purpose? Is there a purpose to life? How does that whole thing work? And we've got these little invite cards that you can get on your way out. If you know people that you think ought to be here for this, love for you to come and, and check things out as we talk about it. All of our campuses, we're going to be doing this. There are like 400 churches in the Chicagoland area that are doing it together. A lot of resources online. It's just really going to be a cool thing. How, how do we view our jobs? Contrast number four. Well, my job is a mission. It doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter where I am, God's put me there and I should be on mission for him. I shouldn't be a, one of those crazy, weird Ned Flander kind of guys on, on mission. I should just know that God's put me there because he wants me to be Jesus to the people around me. If I'm in this chair, my job is a blessing. Thank you. It came from you. I appreciate that. Appreciate the paycheck. If it's this chair, it's just an opportunity. You see the difference? Contrast number five, marriage. I was at a marriage a couple of days ago, at a wedding a couple of days ago. And um, you, know, you, know what, you know what it's like when you've been married for 34 years and you watch this young couple walk down the aisle and you're just, you know what, you're just kind of like, <laughs> is it just me? Uh, I, because, because 
you know, you're like, you're like, oh, I'm so in love and I can't wait and it's all so great. And, and all of us are like, dude, you have no idea. This is, this is my cartoon, okay? Apparently I have done something to upset you. Listen, get married. I, I, I love, I, you know, I love my wife, but I'm telling you that marriage is hard. So what happens in marriage? If you're in chair one, your marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. It's like, I'm going to do this because I said I was going to do this. Somebody said there are two things that ought not to be entered into lightly, embalming and divorce, okay? And I agree with that, and you know you do too, even if you've been divorced. Covenant is different than chair two, which is a contract. A con the difference between a covenant and a contract is this is saying, I'm going to do this because I said I was, and this is saying, if you do, then I will do, and if you don't, then I won't don't. You know, I'm not going to do it. And I know, listen to me, um, there are biblical reasons for divorce, and sometimes your spouse leaves you and... I am, if I'm talking to the average audience in America, half the adults in the room are, are divorced, okay? Um, I want you to know this, that's not the deal, okay? You are not second-class citizens to us. Uh, you're welcome to commune here. You are welcome to be a part of us. We love you. We are all broken in one way or another, whether you come from a divorce that was your fault or not or whatever. It, it, that is just completely irrelevant to us. We are all from this place moving forward. What I'm trying to tell you is there's a difference between being married as a covenant and being married as a contract. And that's something that all of us ought to think about in 2019. Those people think of it as a convenience, you know. I mean, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. It doesn't really even matter. How, how do you view parenting, okay? Uh, they want to raise godly kids. Again, they, they want to raise kids that, that are first chair, that say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They want to raise good kids. And, and if they, you know, if they turn out that way, that's great. You know, I hope they make me proud. They want to raise successful kids. Nothing wrong with that either, okay? But let me show you how it works. King David was the greatest king of Israel, and he sat in chair one. He sat in chair one as he was anointed the king of Israel. He sat in chair one a lot of his kingdom time as king of Israel. And as he went on to be with God later on, God said of him in scripture that King David was a man after my own heart. This is super important for you to understand. Okay, It's not about always being in this chair. It's about where your heart is and where your heart wants to be because... For those of you that don't know, King David was an adulterer and a murderer, okay? Like in between the time he took the throne. He, he was in first chair. He was an adulterer and a murderer. Some of you grew up with the mortal venial sin thing going on. I mean, we're talking about the big two, right? We're talking about, no, he, he did the mortal sins, and yet God still said he was a man after my own heart. That's why I don't believe in mortal and venial. I believe in God. I believe in God's grace. I believe in who God is. But our heart sometimes gets led astray. David's heart got led astray. He had kids, and almost all of them turned out very badly because they saw him vacillating between chair one and chair two. His best son was Solomon, who wrote part of the Bible. He wrote, he wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote Proverbs. And you read it, and you're like, man, that's really good stuff. It would have been good stuff if he would have listened to his own advice, but he didn't. 
Because he, he started marrying women from all other places and bringing other gods in. And he started uh, worshiping other gods and, and, and things went downhill. And here's the problem. He raised, a, uh, he raised kids who saw him sitting in chair two. And Rehoboam was his son that took over the throne. And he completely did evil in the eyes of the Lord and blew up the whole kingdom. It went from David to Solomon to Rehoboam, just like that. Just like it went from Joshua to knew neither the Lord nor what he had done from Israel. Please, please understand this. Chair two really confuses your kids. The reason that chair two is so bad is that it, it really confuses everybody. It confuses the world. When the world is, is mad at Christianity, you know what they're mad at? They're not mad at chair one. They're mad at chair two. When your kids get confused by Christianity, they're not confused about chair one. They're confused about chair two. That's the problem. Dr. Wilkinson said, I've done, you know, I've done this speech over thousands of places, talked to tens of thousands of people. And he said, chair one people tend to raise chair one children. There's no surprise there. They have free will. They're going to do whatever they want to do. Don't ever forget that Satan rebelled against God, who is the perfect father. So there are no guarantees that your kids are going to do what you want them to do. My kids all moved out of Illinois. I mean, I did my best, and none of them would stay here. So <laughs> fail for me, right? Um, Dr. Wilkinson said what he wasn't expecting was that chair two, chair, two, chair two parents tended to raise chair three children. And he hadn't really thought about it until he started talking to people. Why, well, why would that be? Well, your kids are pretty smart, you know. I mean, when they see hypocrisy and duplicity, they see you moving your chair around all the time. They're just like, why don't I just go sit over there? You're confusing me. To produce first chair children, you need to commit to being a first chair parent. Contrast number seven, money. How do you do money? Well, these people are stewards. It's God's money. And I'm going to manage it. So when God says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, they actually believe that. And they do their best to steward God's money so that, so that the kingdom of heaven goes forward because it's God's money. These people are philanthropists. I mean, they're still, they still believe it's better to give than to receive. And, you know, when the Salvation Army Santa's out there, they're going to give some money and they're going to do some things. But, but, but it's not God's money. It's still my money. Th these people, when it comes to money, they're the owners. The, the, this is a parable that Jesus talked about. And he said there was this guy who was in chair three. And he said, oh, I'm having a good crop. What shall I do? This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And I'll restore my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, hey, self, listen to all the, you know, self-talk here, right? It's all about me. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. I mean, you just got to decide. How's, how's that going to go for you? How's it happening for you? God said, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you with true riches? I mean, there's a test, and this is it. And, and, and I'm telling you this because I need you to understand, this is not about what God needs. This is, not, this is not about what the church needs. I'm telling you that this is the best place to live. I'm telling you that this chair is exhausting. I'm telling you that God wants to do more in your life. And I'm telling you that this is the place where you want to be. You've got to decide how you're going to deal with it. Last one. How's the church? 
Okay? Obviously, you know, it's not for those people. But there's a difference here. This is really fascinating. These people see the church, they're partners. These people see the church as they're consumers. Okay? You know, those people, doesn't matter. The difference between a partner and a consumer is pretty simple. I'm going to participate with the church and it's going to help me and I'm going to help others because that's the way it was set up. This is, if it meets my needs, it's great. If it's a you know, sermon I want to hear, I'll show up. It, you know, if, it's, if it's good, I'll be there. If I don't like it, I'll go find another church. That's, that's where chair two ends up. And this is why this is really confusing to your children. And I need to tell you right now, one of the things that freaks me out about 3,700 more people than the year before is that we don't have enough people to help us do it. So I'm challenging you today to be a partner, okay? I'm challenging you today to sit in this chair and fill out this card and put it with the basket with the balloons on the way out of whatever campus you're at because someone will get in touch with you. We need more children's workers. We're going to have to figure out how to do more services for crying out loud. We need more people in the parking lot. We need more camera workers. We need all those kinds of things. And yeah, I'm saying we need this. And I'm also saying you need it. Stop one of the volunteers on your way out and say, hey, what do you guys do in the back room? Like, are you shaving your heads and, you know, smoking something, some peyote back there? How, how does the whole thing work? Because I guarantee you every one of them is going to go, oh, no, my life has been made so much richer by the fact that I got in this chair. Just, just, just talk to somebody and, and figure this out. Like, I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you're new. I just wanted you to know where we were coming from. Maybe, maybe like a lot of people in our area, you grew up with a faith and you left it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that my guess is what you left was religion and not relationship. I'm trying to help you to understand what it can be. Maybe you're a believer and, and, it, and it feels stale to you, you know? I mean, sometimes when you've been married for a long time, sometimes your marriage feels stale. You know what you need to do about that? You need to work on it again. I mean, there are going to be periods of time that go better than others, but, but when I start feeling stale, if you're feeling stale at the gym, if you're feeling like you need to lose weight, there are things that we all need to do, right? So you got to lean into it if you're going to fix it. You're never going to feel good if all you do is consume and not burn it off. It's just got to go that way. <coughs> So my question for you, as we start the new year, which chair are you in? I obviously want to tell you this is the dangerous chair. You can say to me, well, PT, I, I believe, and, and I would say, yeah. And the Bible says the demons believe and they tremble. That's a great place to start, but it's a sad place to finish. Faith without works is dead, James said. And there's one scripture that's really telling. When you get to the end of the Bible, you get to the book of Revelation, Jesus is talking to one church, and, and he's kind of passing judgment on this one church in the book of Revelation. And he says, look, I know your deeds. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Like the literal translation of that is, it makes me sick. <laughs> and I, and I want to tell you, on behalf of the people on the outside of the kingdom of God, it makes me sick too. Because what people see when they see this, it's confusing to them. It doesn't seem like anything they want to be a part of. And, and you know what? They don't. And they shouldn't. And neither should you. 
purpose of the Christian life is not to lead a mediocre life and accept Jesus and escape hell and slight into heaven. We're called to bring heaven to earth and take earth to heaven. And as a, the leader of this church, I promise you, in the same way as the leader of my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want you to understand that. But I want you to understand that not just because of the kingdom and not just because of the people on the outside. I want you to understand that that is the best life that you can possibly live. If you need help with this, we still have some room available in Rooted. It's, it's going to close tomorrow, so get signed up. we got a few spots left at all of our campuses, a 10-week program to really help jumpstart it. But one way or another, I want you to understand that, that this is the chair that you want to be in. Don't be in this chair. This chair makes God sick. That shouldn't be a part of what we do at all. Choose this day who you will serve. Go be cold if you're going to, okay? At least be comfortable. Let me forget it. But this is the chair you want to be. I, 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 this wedding I was at Friday in California was uh, Tyler Brown and, and Morgan Izinga. Tyler grew up in, in this church. I mean, his dad, Bill Brown, is our executive pastor. He's one of my best friends. He's my wingman. And I watched Tyler grow up. And you know what? Tyler was raised in a first chair home. And matter of fact, they met at Saddleback Church doing uh, internships together. That's where they met. And it was great to get to know Morgan. She's actually on our staff now. We just hired her to come on and do group stuff at our Orland campus. And she's a great Christian gal. And it was great to meet her parents because they were first-chair parents who raised a first-chair girl. And Tyler's a first-chair boy that grew up in a first-chair family. And they came together in the presence of God and a few friends and said, we commit to following God and being first-chair people. And I guarantee you, because I'm a person that's been doing this for a long time and I was just with all my family, over the holidays and I'm watching what's going on in their life and I'm so proud of what they're doing, I wouldn't have traded one moment in first chair. I didn't always live there. We didn't do it all right all the time. But I wouldn't at this point in my life have traded one moment that I spent there for any time I could have spent in one of those other chairs. I wouldn't have done it. And you might be looking at me going, hey, P.T., I mean, what's, you know, how, what, what, what needs to happen here? What, how much bigger does the church need to get, you know? I mean, do you need another 15 minutes of fame? And, and my, my, my answer to you would be, I could care less about any of that. What I care about is I care about bringing heaven to earth and earth to heaven. I have it tattooed on my arm, and I'm going to keep doing it until my voice falls out of my face because this is the best life that you can lead. And as we as a church and as we as a people lead our life this way, the people on the outside are going to go, oh, that's what I've always been looking for. Because if you're on the outside, guess what? That's what you've always been looking for. So as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Pray with me. Father God, I just want to pray that you'll be with us as a congregation as we go into 2019. Be with my family, be with my marriage, my, my kids, my grandkids. Be with Tyler and Morgan as they start. Lord, all of us are here, and we've all, we're, we're all looking at this thing going, oh, man, we probably messed some stuff up along the way. And there are some people here who are feeling bad because they, they didn't do it that way. Lord, please put that away from them. Help them to know that you love them unconditionally. You don't care what chair they're sitting in right now. You just want to call them to the life that goes on forward. You want to call them to the best life that they can live. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and let everything else be added. 
Because I can attest that the everything else that gets added is way, way better in chair one than any place else. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.